Hello and welcome to the Save Your Game podcast. This is the podcast where I talk to people from in and out of the gaming universe about the games that have defined their very lives. My guests will choose three games that fit this bill. We'll be talking about when they played them, why they played them, and all the things they loved about them. But in the end, there can be only one. After discussing all three games with my guests, I'm going to force them to make an agonizing decision. They must choose their one game to be saved for the Save Your Game podcast and be immortalized forever. I'm Frankie Ward and I am someone who is lucky enough to talk about video games for a living from hosting at major esports events, interviewing pro players or talking about the newest games to hit your gaming platform of choice. Now, before we get started, if you love gaming as much as we do, there's a whole load of game-related stuff that you can dive into. So make sure you head to redbull.com to keep track of which games get inducted into the Red Bull Save Your Game podcast, the latest news on all the episodes, and a whole lot more gaming content from us. My next guest on the show is the amazing author, gaming critic, and content creator, Stephanie Hex Bendixson. Steph, welcome to Red Bull Save Your Game. How are you? Oh man, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm great. <laughs> I am really pleased that we've managed to catch you because I know you're busy with the new world beta at the moment. And right now you're actually trying to hold your place in the <laughs> server. Is that right? Yeah, the the um the particular world we we chose in the Asia Pacific server is really overpopulated and super unstable. So I have to join the queue really early and then just kind of move my character forward a few steps every now and again until I'm ready to go. Otherwise, I just kind of miss hours of gaming with <laughs> with everyone. Who are you playing that with at the moment? It sounds like you've got a gang. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a really great community of people that I play with. Um, we have a, like a video game variety show called Back Pocket that we do here. And so I play a lot of the, the games that I play online are, are with um, members of that community. And tonight I'm actually playing with my former co-host from a TV show that I used to present here in Australia for about seven years called Good Game. So yeah, we're kind of reuniting old mates catching up in, uh, in Eternum. <laughs> What's your character like? Do you have a, a typical character that you go for in MMOs? Kind of. I like a I like a really kind of spunky character who looks like she can get stuff done. You know, a big driving force for me in RPGs is creating a character that I can live out my fantasy with. So typically I've chosen like rogues or, or fighters or characters that get to wear like cool leather you know, badass looking outfits. I always stay away from mages because they have to wear dumb robes all the time. But the good thing with <laughs> with the new world beta is they're not locking you into anything like that. You can wear whatever you want. There isn't even really a formal class system. The way you play is dependent on where you put points into um, which weapons you choose. And you can have any combination of weapons. So I have a fire staff and then I have a big like battle axe. <laughs> do you typically play women because I find even if I'm playing a fighting game I would like to try out the female characters first I'm playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla at the moment because I mean I started a really really long time ago uh, along with everyone else and I'm still playing it but I haven't switched from female Ava I really just really do like playing women I don't know if that makes me a, a cliche. No, no, I don't think so. I think I, I've got a, a lot of friends that, that play um, genders that are different to the ones that they are. But I think for me, particularly with fantasy, it really is about immersion and living out 
this kind of alter ego version of myself. So I always, I always create women. They don't always look like me, but they're always, they always, I feel like represent the essence of who I would want to be in that world. <laughs> so seven years, Steph, presenting Good Game. That was on ABC, right? So that's, that's basically like in the UK where I am. That's kind of like your BBC. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. It's the kind of government funded broadcaster. Yeah. So that's absolutely huge. Tell me a bit more about the show for those who aren't so familiar with it. It, it was really one of a kind, you know, it, it, it reached a demographic that I think the ABC couldn't reach with the programming that they were putting out. So it kind of existed in this weird bubble space of, um, I don't know, awkward, nerdy, but kind of wonderfully positive gaming culture. And we brought that to Australians uh, every Tuesday night for the show ran for 10 years and I was on it for seven. I never dreamed of having a career in video games. I didn't, I didn't think that it was something that you could do beyond making video games. It kind of didn't occur to me, but you know, I loved playing them and I was interested in television. And when I discovered this show, it felt like a, a sort of a, a piece of me had been discovered <laughs> and other people could share in it as well. So landing a job on that show was just, honestly, it, it, was, it was such a dream. Um, and, uh, and I have just probably the most wonderful memories of my life working on that show. It was, it was really special. But I think everything has kind of moved online now and audiences have moved online. So I don't know that it necessarily um, could exist today, but it was, a, it was a very special time in my life for sure. And now you've got Back Pocket. So that's funded by Patreon viewers and, and you're also Twitch streaming as well. With Back Pocket, have you been affected by COVID or because of the fact that things are online and you're, you're running it with your friends as well? Does that mean that you've been able to carry on as normal in a way? Yeah, we're, we're really lucky to be pretty well set up from home. We have a really great studio in the city that we typically film from. So it's frustrating not, be, not being able to use that because I feel like that's kind of what separates us from, you know, a lot of other people on Twitch who are just kind of broadcasting from their homes. We have this, you know, a slightly more, we've tried to kind of lean into our television background a little bit in, in trying to create a, a, a really kind of professional setup. But um, at the end of the day, people just just, they just want to see us and they want the, the, the community to kind of continue as normally as possible. So yeah, we're doing it from home and, and it's, it's working. Well, I know on Back Pocket, you'll be playing some of the latest games, but Steph, we're here to discuss some of your games from the past. I imagine most of them are from the past. These are some of your favorite <laughs> games. And at the end of the podcast, you're going to have to choose just one to save above the others. I am wondering, have you already got an idea of which one it's going to be? Obviously, don't tell anyone because we need to build up some tension here. Oh, gosh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'll have to kind of make that decision when I come to it because I, I, I can't pick one ab above all others. <laughs> I like that, though. I like that. This is going to be like therapy for your essential gaming list. But before we get into that list, what is your first memory of gaming? So this is a bit unusual, but I, I'm excited to talk about it because it might be a bit, um, you know, of an unknown area for many of your listeners. I, I think people who are familiar with MUDs or multi-user dungeons would know what I'm talking about, but it, it kind of comes from the fact that my parents were very anti-video games. They just, um, 
didn't believe that having a console in the house was a good idea. They thought I would spend too much time in front of the TV. They wanted me outside playing, riding a bike, which is perfectly understandable. I get it, but I was really, really desperate to play video games. I was hugely into fantasy fiction. I read a lot. I loved everything, you know, medieval fantasy, dragons, wizards, magic. And I saw video games as an extension of that world that I was just completely missing out on. Eventually, I I can't even remember what I was searching online. It was when I was about 16 years old, but I came across this website that just said Lensmore, like fantasy role-playing game. And I was like, that sounds amazing. And it had this kind of Java telnet applet that was kind of embedded in the website where you could just enter some like basic info and suddenly you would be dropped into the game. And the screen was black and the text would kind of appear in different colors because there were different channels, you know, just like you would have out of character chat, you would have world chat, um, you know, things that you would say as your character, but it was entirely text-based. It was a, a living, breathing fantasy world that was entirely in text. So it would kind of describe the room you were in and you would enter basic syntax to either move forward or look at something or look at another player. Uh, And people would role play their characters really seriously. It was like kind of collectively writing a book together at the same time online with people all over the world. And I'd never experienced anything like it. And this is your first game. This is your first pick, Stephanie. Lensmore. That's right. Yeah. It's, I would say one of the most kind of formative gaming experiences of my life was was the the couple of years that I spent fully immersed in this world. We need to set the scene really because this is 1997. So I think Quake came out in 1996. We've got graphics going on right now. We have the PlayStation 1 has just come out in this year. I think I played Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was text-based in the early 90s. It's probably the first game I played, or it's definitely one of the first two games I played. So in other words, there is a visual medium out there and available to play, and yet you were playing a text-based game, Steph. Yes, because I could get away with it because my parents, when they walked into the room, it didn't look like a video game to them. So (laughs) I think they just thought it was like a website or a chat room or or something that that wasn't as sinister in their eyes as video games. So I managed to kind of play this game without actually playing a game, you know, so to speak. So it it was really incredible. And, you know, when you're reading a book and, and you're obviously looking at words on a page, but in your mind, you're seeing everything play out visually as if you were there. That's what it was like playing this game. Like even when I think about it now, it was so long ago that I played it. But when I think about it now, I can still see the town square and the cracked fountain and all of the kind of um, residents of that town kind of milling about and the, the conversations people would have. It was set like many worlds across two warring continents. And there was this really intense rivalry between them. If there was a raid from the neighboring continent that you know, would happen suddenly, we'd all have to kind of mobilize ourselves, all of our clans to try and protect our land. They had this really lush green environment and ours was kind of a desert. And so we always felt kind of spurned by them. And it really like, people obviously were readers of fantasy fiction because when they uh, when they wrote, they just wrote so beautifully and and poetically and 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 to set the scene, I suppose it's not like you're just kind of chatting like a in a chat room. You would describe the things that your character was doing in between the things that they said. So I might say, um, "Well, what are we going to do to protect the town?" And then I would write 
Hex shifts uneasily, tucking a lock of hair behind her ear as she looks around or something like that. And then, you know, that everyone was, was sort of doing that together and it just felt so real. And, and I was 16 and very awkward at school, but in this world, I was this like warrior woman who was like negotiating trade deals and stuff. And it just seemed so much more appealing to me. So were there any were there any mechanics or rule sets beyond what you guys were all typing? Like who decided who was winning those battles between the two factions, the two islands? The people that um, sort of built the game act, acted as the deities of the world. So you could um, belong to certain religions and follow certain deities and those people would also kind of act as the moderators and builders and fixers and things like that. There was a kind of a point scoring system. You know, you would level your character like you would like level any character in a game. It was just basic Dungeons and Dragons stuff. You know what I mean? There'd be like roles and you'd level up your your character with skills and things like that. Did you have a character sheet as well? Uh, Kind of, yeah. It was just all sort of built into the... I don't even want to say interface of the game because there wasn't one. It's just text. It's so hard to describe. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, then there would be like people would award role playing points and things like that as well. If you performed particularly well in a certain scene as it played out and things like that. So, And what did people think when you told them about this at school? Because I imagine you must have been so excited to tell people because you couldn't talk to your family about it at home. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of, um, it had a bit of a domino effect actually, because I started playing it and got so into it. I, t- I told one of my best friends about it, who I used to trade fantasy novels with, cause she just read the same books as me. And I was like, you've got to play this game. It's just like being in a fantasy novel and you get to play your own character and write your own story. And it's amazing. So she and I started playing sisters in the game and we were so kind of into it that we would get into the, the computer labs at lunch and we'd, we'd play on the PCs at school. And then other girls would be like, what are you doing? And then we sort of explain it to them. And sort of one by one, we started recruiting, you know, unintentionally more people to this game. Unfortunately, then the school kind of got wind of it and informed my parents who had already started to kind of figure out that things were wrong because I was playing with a lot of people from the U.S., that uh, it meant that I would often get up after my parents had gone to sleep and play all night. And then, you know, I hadn't slept and I was turning up to school and just passing out in English. So the school kind of notified my parents that I was falling asleep in class. And when I wasn't asleep, I was playing this game and I'd kind of, you know, recruited a whole bunch of other girls into it. And then my parents sent me to see a counsellor for gaming addiction. Wow. So it... it (laughs) It escalated. It sounds like it escalated quite quickly, Steph, but it's something that you can kind of laugh about now. Did you feel when you were sent to that counsellor that you had an addiction or did you think that everyone was wrong? They they got the wrong end of the stick and you were perfectly fine? I think, I don't know. I want to be kind to myself back then because I was, I, I think I just struggled socially at school and this world was my escape from that, you know, and I felt really good being there and I really enjoyed the online friendships that I'd forged through that game. So I think it's understandable that I wanted to spend all of my time there, but it definitely was getting to be a bit of a problem in terms of like the number of hours that I played. And you have to understand as well, this is when I was on dial up. So, you know, I would kind of log in and, uh, you know, after my parents had gone to sleep and I had to get a pillow and like smother the modem <laughs> sound with a yeah, pillow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I wouldn't wake anyone up. It. <laughs> but it, yeah, it definitely it was it was definitely a bit too much towards the end. I think it was hard for me to kind of 
separate it from from reality and but I also think it kind of ran its own course I was getting older and I got to the point where I was leaving school and and I'd grown out of that game in in many ways and it was sad really because I could never go back to that time I can't ever recapture it it was very much um beautiful and and special because it it happened then did you ever play any other text-based games or was it Lensmore and Lensmore only I tried, I tried, but it was like trying to recapture a romance, you know, it's just, it, nothing, nothing will ever be the same as those first steps that I took into that world and, and the, and the people that I met there and the stories that we told together. I think it was, it was just really special. I mean, I, you know, I played at friends' houses, you know, Super Nintendo and like N64 and stuff like that. So I was familiar with, with other games that were out there, but this really, set the scene for me in terms of the kinds of experiences that I wanted to seek out in video games. And that was kind of narrative driven, social fantasy worlds <laughs> that, I, that are totally immersive. Now, do you like narrative games today? Would you play something like Firewatch, for example, almost these kind of walking simulators, like what remains of Edith Finch? Are they something you enjoy? Yeah, definitely. I've, 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 I've played those. I, I think... For me, the most exciting thing about video games going forward is absolutely the possibility with narrative and what we can do with it in video games because it's what separates video games as a medium from every other medium, right? The interactivity, the the ability to kind of influence the story in some way or be connected to the story through that interactivity even that, that makes it so different from just passively watching a film or reading a book. And that opportunity, I think, is only just beginning to be explored. You know, when I think about where games will be 10 years from now, I think about what the kinds of stories that we'll be telling and and how we'll be telling those stories. Because to me, there's just, there's nothing more exciting. Well, Lensmore and other text-based games can seem confusing and overwhelming at first, but if you listeners do want to get started, then head over to lensmore.org and follow the guidelines to get started. The community is known for being very welcoming, so you won't be short of people willing to help you out and get you on your first adventure. Steph, if you've got one piece of advice for anyone out there who wants to give Lensmore a go, what would it be? I would say uh, be prepared to have patience (laughs) because everything about video games now is so immediate and fast moving and it's kind of instant gratification. But you you need to be comfortable with being in a world where everyone is typing everything out manually and that takes time. So having a conversation and, um, you know, uh, describing everything that your character is doing, that takes time, but it's so rewarding because it's a it's a form of role play that is just, you know, unlike anything else. And why could it be potentially the game that you saved today? I guess because it's, it just feels like the start of my gaming romance, I suppose. It, it was the game that started it all. And it's the game that kind of, I think, you know, deep down this, this the person that I will always be is, is that person in that world kind of wanting to live a different life. So yeah, <laughs> it's a strong contender. It sounds like it, but we are going to move quite far away from Lensmore, about 15, 16 years away, in fact, and from PC to PlayStation 3, because in 2013, your next game was released. Tell us what it is, Steph. Yeah, I had to, I mean, coming off the back of talking about narrative and video games and how we've watched that evolve over the years, I just, um, I, I, I have to talk about The Last of Us. 
I mean, as a franchise, but that game, I think, was the first game that I I really saw cinematic storytelling and the potential that it had. The Last of Us had its own take on a very loaded zombie gaming market at the time. To be fair, it's, it's still pretty loaded. It focused on a dark storytelling technique mixed with tense action and gameplay, making for one of the most unique and popular gaming experiences ever, with memories from the game staying with you even after the controller is put down in those heartbreaking moments. For me, it was just, it was one of the most emotionally affecting games I've ever played. To see motion capture done in the, in the way that Naughty Dog had approached it, the way they kind of filmed everything and set up the shots like you would direct a movie and then kind of recreate that with the character models, you know, exactly as close as they could manage it. You know, even the eyes of the characters, which often in video games, when they have motion capture, they've sort of had to do the eyes separately and they never quite nail it. You know, being able to see every sort of aspect of that actor's performance realised in a game and with such a serious and, and lovingly told story was just, I was gobsmacked. I never thought that it was possible. Did you cry after the first five minutes? Because I confess I did. I'm not ashamed. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the only way you can compare The Last of Us to Disney Pixar's Up. <laughs> yeah. Did you yeah. cry after the first five minutes? <laughs> you would have to have a heart of stone, right, to not cry at the, after that scene. It was just, no one expects it. It's a tough one. <laughs> can you remember when you first heard about The Last of Us, Seth? Yeah, I think... I think I, I must have seen something at E3 or... Yeah, I think we started to see some sort of cinematics and things from it and it just looked really incredible. But I think a lot of the time you see cutscenes from games and you don't really expect much uh, it, by way of it translating into actual gameplay. And I didn't really understand at that time just how fully they intended to tell the story throughout the game, not just with the kind of cutscenes, but just with the character interactions as you... Um, you know, move throughout the world, particularly in a game where you have two characters moving together and they, they have the opportunity to converse and, um, and fight and help each other and, you know, get angry at each other or, or have moments of doubt, then you're constantly kind of building that relationship, not just kind of watching a movie, then doing a bunch of stuff and then watching another movie. It was a very much, you know, a, a constant building of, of, of a relationship throughout that entire game. And it was just so impressive the way they made you fall in love with the relationship that these two characters had with each other. And it was a grown man and a child that wasn't his. It was just, it was really, it was really incredible. And I just, I have so much respect for everyone who worked on that game. The story between Joel and Ellie, the two main characters, is absolutely unforgettable. However, there may be some people listening who have never played The Last of Us, who've never looked it up. So how would you describe it to a newcomer? So it's it's set post a, a, a pretty horrible virus that has affected the majority of the population. It kind of, um, it's a, if you're familiar with the cordyceps virus that affects insects that kind of explodes out through the top of their heads, it's really gnarly. This has kind of spread to humans and it's, it's, it's created zombie-like creatures that are just really violent and horrible and, um, you know, succumb to this virus. Joel is... I mean, I don't want to spoil too much, but he ends up traveling across America with a a young girl who he has to kind of deliver to a group of people who want to try and um, create a vaccine. And in doing this, they kind of form a relationship together and you have to 
use both of those characters to kind of navigate the environment, uh, you know, a young girl and a fully grown man. Um, and it is, of course, one of those scenarios where the virus is very scary, but also the people in this world uh, are very scary now because, you know, it's a new world order, so to speak. I think that's one of the exciting things about the story is that it's not just your clickers and your different types of zombies that you have to be afraid of. It's the people as well. Is there a particular passage of the game that you found especially scary? I think anytime you go underground, it's pretty terrifying. <laughs> and it's funny because it, the, the pacing of the game is so incredible because it's never relentlessly scary or frustrating or hard. You know, you, you go through bursts of, you know, horror and tension where you're kind of trying, you know, these these creatures are very sound oriented. So you have to be very quiet. You can't, you know, move too much. But it, it very much is a, is a is a survival game in that it doesn't want you kind of running and gunning through the world. You're doing everything slowly. You have very limited materials, so you have to be very careful with with every bullet that you pick up or every kind of resource that you can use. But you know those moments build so much um, tension inside of you, and then you're released out into this beautiful jungle paradise where you might see wild animals, and then you have a really wonderful conversation, and you almost forget that the world <laughs> has been destroyed, and and you have this kind of really wonderful experience, only to then face you know more tension and more horror after that. So it it it's just wonderful pacing. So I, I think it's really clever the way they've they've built all of that throughout the game in such a way that you never feel like it's too much, but then you feel really rewarded when you make it through those really scary moments. And unlike Lensboard, this isn't a RPG being generated by loads of people. This is very much a, a single player experience. How did you enjoy that time that you were able to invest in the game and I guess subsequently yourself? It's quality time. Yeah, I think um, these are the kinds of games that I find it... I find it very difficult to stop playing once I start. You know, I think, um, you know, we're all familiar with binge culture now when it comes to watching shows. And I think if it's taking up space in my brain, then I'm really just uncomfortable. I need to get that resolution as quickly as possible. So it's difficult for me to pick up a Naughty Dog game and and put it down <laughs> and then go back to it. So, you know, The Last of Us 2, I think I, I was so excited about that game and, and I started playing it, I think, maybe like 10 a.m., on a Friday morning and then I finished at like breakfast the following day. So it was almost like a full 24 hours, I think, that I played <laughs> straight. And I remember I came to bed just as my husband was waking up and he was like, did you finish the game? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, was it good? And I was like, I can't talk about it. You've just got to play it. And he was like, okay. And then I rolled over and I was like. <sighs> <laughs> okay, that sounds like an incredible <laughs> review. I still haven't had time to play Last of Us Part 2 yet. I am going to prioritize that now because I really need that that feeling that you can get from a game. It's really weird the feeling I get like that's kind of relatable is from Final Fantasy X. I just think about the ending. No, totally. Like, but then it was that thing of I was desperate to talk about it with someone. Mm. So I was sitting there watching him play it and then he would get up to go like get a drink or something and I'd say, what are you doing? And he was like, I'm just getting a drink. And I was like, but you've got to keep playing. You've got to keep playing so you can finish it. We can talk about it. And he was like, okay. <laughs> You're married well though because you've got someone that you can talk to about games. Do you ever actually sit and, and play? Or do you, in fact, you've just described sitting and playing together. So is that something you do quite often? Kind of. Yeah. I think there, there are a few games that we play together, but we like, like he plays a lot of Dota 2, which is just like not my jam. 
<laughs> and he's also like he's a different type of gamer to me as well like he's a bit bossy I would say he likes he, he likes things to be of a certain standard whereas I like to really like appreciate the experience and have a good time so we play games together sometimes we play uh, um, a bit of Destiny 2 together but I would say mostly we play with separate groups of friends <laughs> you just said that he's a Dota 2 player so to be honest say no more yeah. I'm learning Dota 2 at the moment. I know exactly what you mean by, by a player who wants everything done perfectly. He would backseat your last hits, I imagine, and just be oh, like, man. nope, nope, nope. And he, play, he plays with his friends from school, but just the way he talks to them, I was like, those are your friends. He's like, we all talk to each other like that. They get it. They understand. And I was just like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Never play solo Dota 2. Play in a stack. It's much more fun because people, people get quite angry with the typing. And yep. it's, uh, it's an adjustment. But obviously, <laughs> Last of Us, you're kind of safely away from that. But it does seem like maybe multiplayer games are, are the future and they're increasingly invested in by publishers and by studios. Do you think that we're, maybe we're seeing less devotion to single player narrative games at the moment? Look, I hope not, because I think they really are just, you know, where the true kind of art of video games um, can be realised. I think... You know, when someone has a really specific story that they want to tell and they create that that narrative experience with the kind of, um, you know, detail and care that, you know, a, a developer like Naughty Dog, you know, tends to do, I really just don't think there's anything else like it. And I have a, 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 a great passion for multiplayer games now, especially now, as it's my main contact with my friends and, and my main kind of social... Uh, interaction with people I I don't think that anything could take the place of those single player experiences and and those narrative driven games that will affect me for all time (laughs) The Last of Us is one of the most beloved single player games of all time so people who want to be one of the 17 million people who have played the game at some point can definitely give it a go you can definitely get it for PlayStation 4 that's how I actually first played The Last of Us I played it a few years after it came out and I'm pretty sure you'd be able to get it for the PS5 as well. Steph, how would you say The Last of Us has impacted your life, if at all? Has it been a positive thing for you? <laughs> That's a funny question because it's hard, to, it's hard to think about The Last of Us leaving you with a good feeling because it is such a harrowing story. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's done like such incredible things for the games industry as a whole. I think a lot of developers played that game and really saw the potential of storytelling and, and motion capture and, and the kinds of mature experiences that, that gamers actually were really craving. You know, I think up until that point, there, there was a, there was a kind of belief that maybe to, to get too serious or, or to deal with, you know, difficult themes was something that would, you know, not lead to sales because people just really wanted to have fun and shoot zombies and not think too much about it. And, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. People want to be emotionally invested in these characters because to have that experience and be connected to them in, in a way that you wouldn't if you were watching a movie is just so special. So... Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Naughty Dog's legacy is uh, not just for me, but on the, on the games industry as a whole is, is huge. Why could it potentially be saved by you today? Oh, man, this is so hard. I feel like I said this already. I don't think any game has ever affected me as much, you know, as, as, as emotionally as this, as this game has. This franchise, I think, sits in my mind from a storytelling perspective above all others, and I was forever changed by it. <laughs> 
I need to get part two. I need to get part two. Oh, clear my schedule. (laughs) (laughs) Now, to support this podcast, we're putting together a special Save Your Game playlist of some of our favourite songs from the games we love. Steph, are there any songs that you would include? I would say probably the theme from Destiny 2. Every time I, you know, log into that game, it it really sort of makes an emotion sort of swell in me. I think it's just Bungie do really great music. And I think that's just, I would love to put that on the list. Interesting. Oh, well, thank you very much for your contribution, Steph. If you listeners have any ideas or suggestions for songs you'd like to include, please send them in via our socials at Red Bull Gaming. You know, we're on the Twitter, we're on the Instagram. You can find us, easy peasy. So the third and final game we're going to talk about was just hinted at. It's one of the most popular of its kind. Shooter MMOs, they're not a new thing anymore. But only a select few have done it well and remained popular. And Destiny 2 is one of these. I think it it, it takes everything that Bungie are, are good at in, in terms of creating a really broad and immersive sci-fi world with just really great and fun accessible shooting and kind of has applied that to a game that is shared world multiplayer online and just so much fun to be in again i can't believe it was released in 2017 because it definitely doesn't feel like that long ago steph it's a game that i never thought that i would have on this list but a lot has changed i so i only started playing destiny 2 maybe just under a year ago but it has totally consumed my life and it has opened up a whole world to me that was previously maybe something that I avoided a little bit in video games because I kind of always thought of myself as a as a very kind of story-driven narrative single-player gamer and a lot of the sort of online multiplayer experiences that were out there were like typically competitive shooters. I never felt like I was quick enough or, you know, strategy games or MOBAs and things like that that I just felt like I, I didn't really, you know, have the kind of the skill or the passion for but I started playing Destiny 2 on a whim and met such a wonderful community of people who, who were kind of there to, to show me the world and introduce me to everything that it actually really transformed my whole gaming life. <laughs> and now it is just like a, it's a, it's a part of, all, and I won't say every day, but like I'm, I, I log in all the time because it's just, it's kind of home now. It's really great. So what is the world of Destiny 2? The lore of Destiny 2 is so convoluted, it's very difficult to explain. I don't think I even really fully understand it. It's a futuristic sci-fi. What's left of Earth is kind of a ruin. And you play um, a guardian of the light who has been gifted special powers of resurrection. And um, it is your job to kind of fend off the forces of the darkness. Yeah, (laughs) there's a lot. But it's, I think what makes it so wonderful is that I think, I think I was always just very envious of people's passion for Halo and the Halo universe, but there was nothing about Halo that really appealed to me. I think as a young kind of female gamer growing up, it just seemed very like Master Chief is this kind of like dude bro dude. And then there was kind of Cortana, his like sexy robot companion and everything about it. Like I respect what, what it did for shooters and how revolutionary it was. But, you know, speaking as someone who really want, needed to kind of role play and, and fully immerse myself in the world, you know, Master Chief just didn't 
do it for me. So, but, but when I heard people talk about it and they would talk about the lore and they would talk about the times they had playing with their friends, you know, in Halo multiplayer and stuff, I was always, I always felt like that was a world that I was never a part of. And Destiny 2 for me feels like I, I get a little taste of that now, like everything that, um, that is good about Bungie's um, shooter mechanics and, and the world building, but it's in a, a kind of much more kind of fantasy sci-fi universe that is populated with a lot more women <laughs> and men and, you know, different races and things like that, that feels more inclusive and inviting and interesting and exciting. And I feel like I, I'm getting a little taste of what people loved about Halo in my community of players of, of Destiny 2. Did you play Destiny 1? Very briefly, but I kind of didn't really give it enough time, I think. And I think it was also about, I think it was a game that needed to come to me at this time in my life. You know, I think I needed to be ready to forge those online friendships and be kind of open to what it was offering. I, I think it's just a, it's a game that kind of, that just came into my life at the right time. And I feel very fortunate, you know, with the last sort of 12 months being as they, as they are, I, I feel like a lot of my, you know, non-gaming friends have felt very isolated, whereas I feel like I've become more connected than ever to people, you know, through Destiny and, and other online games and just Discord communities and, and things like that. And I feel really fortunate to, to have that connection and to be able to be, you know, fighting back the darkness with my friends with a common common goal and, and just chatting about our day while we do it. It's, it's really great. How would you describe your life when Destiny 2 came into it? I guess... Um, you know, I've, I've been on a kind of weird transition from having a history in, in broadcast television to the kind of work that we do now that is very much more community-focused content creation. You know, everything about television was very old school and it was very kind of shut away from the world and we would make our thing and there was a person who did every job separately and we would kind of come together and it was a really great experience, but it kind of feels really dated now to think about it. And I think I was just really grappling with the idea of myself as an introvert and kind of getting used to the idea of things like Twitch and, you know, putting yourself out there on the internet and, and, and making your own content and being okay with people kind of commenting on it and saying what they don't like about it and what they do like about it and wanting to have a conversation with you about it and participating in that conversation live, you know, all of that kind of stuff was really new. And I think I was I was so afraid to kind of forge new friendships with strangers because I never really thought that was a good idea. <laughs> I don't know. And now I've just like, I've, I've met so many people through it because I kind of, um, at, at that point I was kind of going through this transformation where I was like, maybe it's okay to just, you know, reach out and talk to people and be more open with your life and, you know, be more candid as a person. And at that time when I started playing Destiny, I, I just forged some of the the loveliest friendships as a result. So yeah, it was, it was really great. I, I'm really grateful. It must be quite hard as well to adjust to that and to trust again, because I can only speak as someone who hasn't been on TV, but has definitely been kind of picked apart by esports audiences and things like that. Sure. It's, it can be really hard to be honest with your community and to kind of be a bit more vulnerable with them because you've had so many people kind of make assumptions about you based on the way you look, whether you actually play video games in the first place. Do you think that's something that contributed to that feeling? Yeah, a little bit. I think it was also just that, um, yeah, you, sp you spend a long time kind of crafting an, an image of yourself that you hope people will 
react well to. And then all of a sudden it's just like they're in your house and you're just being like, this is who I am actually at eight o'clock at night and I'm eating my dinner and had a kind of tough day and I'm going to tell you about that. And then we're going to play some games together. It's a very different vibe, but I understand now why that's so appealing to people because I think people are sick of, of, uh, of, um, overly curated, overly produced stuff. And they want to be able to just kind of hang out with you and, and have a, an experience that's a lot more honest. And I think it took a while for me to understand that mostly just from a, an insecurity point of view. I think I just wasn't ready to put myself out there in that way, but, um, but I get it now. And, and I really like it. Tell me about your first experience of Destiny 2. Did you go into the single player mode first or actually were you questioned from the start? <clears throat> no, I had I had a, a, a lovely um, friend that I'd made through Back Pocket uh, sort of take me through the early game and sort of explain things to me in a way that was very kind of um, easy to digest at first because it can be very overwhelming when you first start. But I, I think also because, uh, you know, most of the games that I played were very long winded uh, narrative games. I'd mostly played games on console. So to start playing Destiny on PC was kind of the first time that I was really kind of committing to like a mouse and keyboard shooter because I always kind of stayed away from them being like, I'm just not fast enough. And, and you know, obviously this is a PvE shooter as opposed to a PvP shooter. And it's, it's, it's a bit more forgiving in that respect. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not great or anything, but I think I'm just not as trash as I thought I was <laughs> and, and being able to put time into this world and kind of feel comfortable with the, with the mechanics and start, you know, remapping things and, and, you know, creating sort of cool key bindings that I'm comfortable with suddenly it, it just, it kind of opened, it kind of opened a world up to me that I felt like I was, that I'd locked myself out of somehow just based on a, a an, an idea I had of myself not being good enough. And it was really nice to just explore that world and feel myself getting better at the game and um, and feeling proud about that. <laughs> Do you think it helped that you came into Destiny 2 after they released the expansions and they fixed the things that people didn't like about it? Because it seemed to be a similar thing with Destiny 2 as it was with Destiny 1, which was uh, the base game. Uh, oh, they released all this new stuff. Oh my God, this is the greatest MMO of all time. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of wild actually because I started playing um, like a couple of months before the Beyond Light expansion came out and they were just about to retire a whole bunch of content from the game, like whole planets were no longer going to be access like accessible. So I was suddenly, um, you know, as soon as I kind of found this community of players that I started playing with, they were like, you need to do all of this stuff before it's gone. So I went on this kind of blitz whirlwind tour of the Destiny universe to kind of do all of these raids and and play all of this content before it got like deleted from the universe. And, um, and it was kind of a um, trial by fire, really. It was really intense, but I'm really glad that I got to do all of that stuff before it was gone because then Beyond Light came out and we got Europa and um, and sort of the next upcoming expansions are, are very different. That's quite cool as well, though, because you because you devoted yourself to cramming all of that in. You now get to be part of the old guard who are like, oh, just remember the good old days, guys. We we went to this planet and this planet and you're part of yeah. that crew. So if yeah. I started playing now, I wouldn't. I'd just be like, oh, God, right. Steph, send me some notes. <laughs> How do I crazy. fake it? I got so into it. And so now I start working towards triumphs and titles. And we did the raid in the first week so we could order those dumb jackets with our gamer tag on them. And we we're all going to wear them at PAX together. And it was going to be a whole thing. You know, it was just like I, I, I went from zero to 100 really quickly with that game. And I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> Tell me about the people that you're playing with then. So you've met a lot of the people that you're playing with online. And it, and it sounds like they're, they're real friends now. 
Yeah, it's been really wonderful, actually. And what I think is so great about it is that it's just like a really broad range of um, of age groups and people from just different parts of the country. The youngest person I play with, actually, uh, I met in the Destiny 2 Tower, who recognised my gamertag and used to, as a child, watch me on television when I hosted my ABC show and is now doing his, like, final year of school. And, like, he just had a, a, a flip-out moment in the tower when he saw me and we just started chatting and now we do raids together. And then the oldest guy that I play with is, like, in his 40s and has kids and stuff like that. So it's, like, and then there's everything in between. So it's it's a really wonderful environment that brings people from, like, all walks of life together and our common thing is this game and you know our ability to like crush raids together and it's really fun i'm getting more and more convinced that i need to start <laughs> playing destiny 2 what is your favorite class to play i play a hunter i don't have uh, enough time or at least I've, I've told myself that i refuse to put time into other classes or it would just take too much time away from other games and you know with the the work that i do i need to make sure that i'm playing enough of the new stuff each week that i can uh, you know stay on top of everything and, and talk about it on our show. So yeah, I play a hunter and I'm sticking with that. <laughs> I think that's absolutely fair enough. Has it ever tempted you to try out other games as well now that you're feeling comfortable with keyboard and mouse? Because it is a game changer, quite literally, when you suddenly start to feel comfortable with WASD and suddenly you're like, oh my God, I'm so much quicker at clicking heads now. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I've, I've um, delved into Borderlands a little bit. Just, I like to do, I mean, I don't think I'll ever be good enough I mean, I, I feel like I don't think I'll ever be good enough to kind of get seriously into competitive shooters. I just don't like I've played, I've tried a bit of Valorant and I've tried a bit of, um, you know, like Overwatch and stuff like that, but everyone's so quick and it's so intense. And I just spend so much time apologizing to my teammates that I feel like <laughs> I'm not willing to subject myself to that yet, but look, never say never. Um, but yeah, other kind of PVE, you know, cooperative shooters, I, I'll, I'll try anything at this point. I, I, I really enjoy it. And I just love, you know, working together with my team to kind of um, to achieve something. I, I find that really rewarding. If you get yourself a five stack, it doesn't matter if you're bad because you go down together. That is my <laughs> advice to anyone trying to play a multiplayer competitive title. You don't have to be good at the game. You just have yeah. to have a good team of good people. That's very true. Is there anything you would do to improve Destiny given that they're putting so much into the second version of the game? Any kind of expansions, any missions you want to see? That's tough. You know, I miss a lot of the the brief kind of dalliance I had on those pal uh, on those planets that they retired. Uh, you know, I miss them a lot. But I understand that from a sheer storage point of view, they can't keep just adding to the world. Um, so yeah, I, I do understand that that they kind of have to measure the amount of content that they put out. You know, I think in any MMO style game, you want to have a little piece of it that's yours. I love that in um, the New World beta, there's the opportunity to um, uh, buy a property. Like that, there's houses in each city and they're instant. So multiple people technically own the same house. But, you know, still when you walk in there, it's all of your furniture and it's decorated the way you like. And I love the idea that this world feels more like yours because you have a place that your character lives. So I would love something like that in Destiny 2, but I think it's a pretty a pretty tall order. <laughs> With many classes and abilities to memorize, Destiny 2 provides a great mix of playstyles for gamers to get out there and tackle the many quests available. If you're looking for a shooter with purpose and payoff, you can pick this up across all major platforms. Steph, for anyone who decides to do this, like me, after listening to you talk about Destiny 2 with so much enthusiasm and passion, what 
can a new player expect from their first mission? Like, how does it actually work? It's a, a little bit difficult to um, get your head around at first. There are quests that you will pick up in the game, but the way you gain experience is often by picking up what are called bounties, which are like sort of a job list objectives that you need to tick off while you're out in the world. So maybe your quest is to go to this place and talk to this person. But if you pick up bounties to kill, you know, X amount of these things or, you know, loot this many chests and stuff like that, MMO style quests that, um, that, that sort of give you more experience. But I would say find a great group of people because the best thing about Destiny by far are the, is the story and also the raids. The raids are so fun. And I never thought that I would be a person who participated in raids, let alone bought raid jackets to wear with my friends. <laughs> but um, yeah, the raids are, are really kind of complex dungeons that you all um, participate in together and everyone has to kind of perform um, certain roles in a certain order. And it's it's really daunting at first, but when you when you pull it off, it is just like, it's so satisfying. It's the ultimate triumph and, and, and Destiny really does it so well. And is there a way to find a, a good community to learn more from? Yeah, I would say like, um, I would say just kind of start joining discords that are attached to things that you are in, that you enjoy and that you feel good about. So every game usually has a discord that, um, uh, that kind of supports that game and creates a community for it. And you can get to know people in those discords. I've set up discords just with my personal friends through our community with Back Pocket. We have a discord that, um, that lots of people have made friendships for people have started relationships and things like that, you know? So yeah, there's, there's lots of different way, but I would say the discord is by far the, the biggest gateway into um, social connection and, and great communities around games. So why could Destiny 2 potentially be the game that you save and save your game? I guess because it's the game that connected me with people after I spent so long in video games, largely by myself. And it, it really kind of opened a door to online multiplayer games for me in a way that no other game has managed to do in the past. So that's pretty big, I think. Oh, everything you have said this episode has just resonated so much with me, Steph. I cannot believe it. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. <laughs> so the time has come. Right. You now have to choose one title, Steph. The one game above all others that you could not live without. Lensmore, The Last of Us, or Destiny 2. This is going to be a really difficult decision, Steph. Oh, man. I'm hearing, like, game show time counting down music, and it's very stressful. Okay. <laughs> Take a few seconds to think, because I've got to say the line, the line to make it official. <laughs> we build up the tension. Yeah. Stephanie Hex Bendixson, your official game to save for the Save Your Game podcast is... The Last of Us. Oh! I love it. Why ultimately did you decide to save that game above the other two? I think Lensmore represents my past and Destiny 2 represents in a way my future because, you know, it's my sort of connection to, to the world and, and online games and stuff. But I think The Last of Us still, I, I hold it in my mind as the most emotionally affecting game that I've ever played. It's an experience that that has changed me forever and has changed the scope of what video games could be and, and made me proud to be working in this industry. Like, 
There's no other game has ever come close in, in terms of what that game did. So I think that's the game that I have to say. Well, there you have it. We have another official entry into the Save Your Game podcast, The Last of Us from Naughty Dog. If you agree or disagree, rude, with Stephanie's choice, make sure you vote for which game you think Stephanie should have entered into the Red Bull Gaming podcast via the poll on Red Bull Gaming's Twitter account. That's simply at Red Bull Gaming. That is it for this week. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for joining me today and for saving <laughs> The Last of Us for the Save Your Game podcast. It's been such a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, I had a ball. Well, that's what we like to hear. And we like to hear if our listeners have enjoyed the show. So if you have, please make sure you subscribe and rate the podcast and feel free to leave us a review telling us which game you'd induct into the Red Bull Save Your Game Championship and why. You can also get in touch with us via our socials at Red Bull Gaming. Let us know your thoughts or you can get in touch with us at Red Bull Gaming using the hashtag Save Your Game Podcast. See you next time. 